welcome to the Inspired Riding Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Lauren Parrish. As a certified riding instructor, remote coach, and animal communicator, I bridge the gap between your inner and outer worlds as you strive to enhance all aspects of your riding. I'm here to remind you that you are powerful and more than capable of changing your reality with your horse time. Well, I have Charlie Parrish back, my husband, and I had some wonderful questions prepared from a bunch of you that asked him, so I can't wait to get into this. Thank you so much for being here again, Charlie. Thank you guys for, uh, for wanting me back. It's, it's exciting. Well, let's start out with a really fun icebreaker question from Carrie. She wants to know, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, that's such a good one, and I think about it all the time. Um, For me, I think it would be instant healing, simply because as a stunt guy, I ding myself all the time, and it would be nice to just be able to get back up and be 100% all over again. Ooh, that's a good one. And do you think those superpowers would then help others as well? I think so. Uh, you know me. I already put myself in situations to help people that, you know, most sane people probably wouldn't. Um, I would probably extend that, that activity out quite a bit more if I, uh, if I knew I wouldn't be that damaged. It would be good to help others always. Always. <laughs> So speaking of getting dinged, um, Patricia asked, what got you into stunt work? I always wanted to be a stunt guy, as long as I can remember. Um, I think the thing that did it for me, I was watching Errol Flynn swing from one pirate ship to another and uh, fight on the deck with swords. And I thought, you know, I want to do that when I grow up. So that's, that's how it started. That's so fun. And what was the first movie you got to work on? The first movie I actually got to work on was called Born on the Fourth of July with Tom uh, Tom Cruise. Um, you know, my uh, my university theater department got invited to come out and be part of a, a big riot scene, and that was the start. But the first film I actually got to you know participate in closely was Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner. Um, I was supposed to be there for twelve days. I ended up being there four and a half months. And what did you do for that movie? Uh, I started out as the writing double for the actor that played young Wyatt, an actor by the name of Ian Bowen. And at the end of the 12 days when he was done, they asked me to stay around and be a utility writer and a stand-in. And then I bugged the stunt coordinator every day about becoming a stunt guy. So by the end of it, they were letting me help them set up stunts and, and be there as a second set of hands to pull ropes or, you know, move equipment. So that's how it started. Can you tell me a little bit more about the horses you worked on, worked with on the movies that you worked with? Um, yeah, I mean, horses for film are kind of a very particular thing. They learn the, the whole process. They understand words like rolling and action. So you have to uh, find other ways to signal a start to the action so they don't, you know, they don't start the ball rolling without you. Um I remember one horse on Wyatt Earp, his name was Dallas, and he was kind of the lead horse, 
And I got to write him a lot because for some reason he and the actor just didn't gel. And every time the actor got on him, he ended up coming off. So I got to ride him a lot. Uh, but he was a really well-trained, fine horse. He was like 16'2", big dark bay, and could do anything you, you wanted him to do. Um, and I've been on, on other shows, not as a wrangler, but you know, being there as a, a gun guy or a stunt guy. And happened into situations where a horse had untied himself from the hitch rail and decided it was time to go back to the trailer. And I just happened to be coming around the corner in time to, to catch the lead rope and lead him back. And so I've spent a lot of time with a lot of different horses. I love that. I'm glad you were there to help that horse too. <laughs> and my favorite non-horse animal um, experience, I was on a, a TV show called Deadliest Warrior and I got to ride a camel which was a whole new experience for me. Um, the camel's name was, was Abraham. They called him Abby, and he was just a sweetheart. How was it different from riding a horse? Oh, because they, they gait different, because they pace with both legs on the same side. It's kind of like sitting on the mast of a ship and just leaning from one side to the other as they walk. It's, it's crazy. And what did you find was similar with the camel? Uh, you still had to be centered, uh, not just physically, but also emotionally, mentally. You had to approach them with the same sort of softness and kindness. And, you know, the way we hit it off is as soon as I first met him, I found his itchy spots. And just like horses, their lips go to twitching and they turn their head and they lean into you. And from that point on, we were good friends. Oh my gosh, that reminds me when I was in Israel, uh, I actually got to ride a camel as well and they took a picture of me finding the itchy spots of the camel with the lips twitching and I think they put it in a little article in my college newsletter saying Beth made a new friend in Israel <laughs> so the connection happens with all animals for sure I love it uh, so speaking of being grounded one of my friends asked do you feel grounded and centered around all horses and how do you create that sense of calm? This is a this is a really deep question. Um, I try and ground myself before I get to horses, uh, just because that way I can come in neutral and have a better sense of them and where they're at. Because if I come in and I'm emotional and my emotionality, you know, tenders the flame of their emotionality, now we don't know where we stand, you know, from the beginning. But if I can come in neutral, if I can come in grounded, then I can get a better sense of the horse and help them find that, that grounded space as well. Um, that's, a, that's, that's a deep one. And how I do it is a, a number of ways. One, I just try and release anything in me that's been bothering me that day. Try and just take a deep breath and let it all go away. Uh, it's very much like... Um, entering the dojo in martial arts. I can't take any baggage in with me because that's not fair to the people I'm working with. So I have to stop at the door and let all of that stay outside. So that's one thing. And the other thing is if there's any uh, pre-existing angst between the horse and I, I try and set that aside too and go, you know what, this is this is not helpful. And I I do a lot with the Honoponopono where, you know, I use the... the uh, the four statements 
you know, I'm I'm sorry for whatever I've done. You know, please forgive me. Thank you for sharing time with me, and I love you. And that puts me in a much better space when I step into an area with horses. Yeah, that's a beautiful Hawaiian forgiveness ritual, if you, if you guys haven't heard of that. The four phrases, I love you, I'm sorry, thank you, please forgive me. And they can be in any order and mean anything that you like. And I actually have that in one of my meditations as a thank you ritual. Uh, so it's really wonderful to do, especially right after you've ridden. Like I say that to Pepper. I'm like, thank you for that ride. I love you so much. I'm sorry if anything upset you. Please forgive me if it did. And he usually just bumps me. He goes, we're good. Just give me a treat. <laughs> so it's <laughs> pretty cool. Okay, so Martha wanted to know, this is really beautiful. What was your most favorite fulfilling title? I mean, you've done everything under the sun, it feels like. You've been a stuntman, martial artist, an army veteran, bodyguard, Reiki master. So what was something that brought you self-understanding and gave you a feeling of a purpose in life? Um, you know, my answer is going to sound corny, but it's the truth. Uh, my favorite title is husband. Oh. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm humbled every day. I find the quirks in my own personality that, that need to be addressed or need to be enhanced. Um, I have to think more before I act or speak. And, you know, I, I have a beautiful example of how to lead with kindness. Um, I wake up next to you every morning and, and get to see how you approach life and, and that makes me a better person. So, yeah, being a husband, probably my favorite title. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you, too. <laughs> so, Christy wanted to know, what's the best way to tune out the junk and tune into what your horse is asking? Um, for me, it's really simple. And it, it doesn't have to be complicated. I just take a moment and go, okay. That goes in a different box. I will deal with that later. I just compartmentalize. Um, and I look at the junk I'm carrying and go, okay, does any of this need to be addressed right now? If the answer is no, then I set it aside for later. But I give myself that, that idea that later I will address this. And that releases me psychologically from having to worry about it. I can, I can put it further down on the schedule because right now this is my time and this is my horse's time. So that's, that's how I do it. I like that. And the Melody wanted to know if you have any wisdom on learning not to overreact and stay centered when things are going pear-shaped around us. Yeah, um, I don't know how much wisdom I have, <laughs> but I spent almost my entire life in situations that start out pear-shaped and only go, go bad from there. Um, it's kind of the reason why I do the things I do is because I know that I can sustain that sort of stress better than most people. You know, being a soldier, being a stuntman, being a bodyguard, it's all about preparing for the worst case scenario. It's all about being willing to put yourself in between danger and those that are in danger. So for me, it's just about trading on my experience being in those situations. You know, having Having been in almost every pear-shaped situation you can imagine around horses, you know, I have a wealth of, of memory of how things happened and how we've tried it before and what worked and what didn't. So 
for me, it's just about, you know, going through it in my head and going, okay, we've been here before. How do we fix this? And trying to stay calm, trying to find that place in your center where it's like, okay, what is the priority? Is someone in danger of, of death or injury? We deal with that first. Okay, now that that's dealt with, what's the next step? And it's just prioritizing that action. And because I've been doing it so much, my decision-making process happens a lot faster than most people. But what I would su suggest to others is always play those worst-case scenarios in your head. Look at what what is the worst thing that cap could happen in the next five minutes, the next ten minutes. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen tomorrow when I'm with my horse? And then plan around that. Look at all of the 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 options while you have that time, because in the moment you won't have that time. So the quicker you can react, having already made that decision, the the easier the situation will resolve itself. It's kind of like um, a choose your own adventure at that point. As long as you give yourself the time to go, okay, what's the worst that can happen? What can I do in those situations? You know, then you have time to, to work it out ahead of time. So then once you've gone through the bad situations, then do you go ahead and just decide this is the situation I'd like to do and rewrite your script? Is that what you're thinking? Absolutely. So I go into that with, okay, this is what I want the ride to be. So I have a picture of how I want the day to turn out. Then I go, okay, what's the worst case scenario and how would I deal with that? But I also go, okay, how do I go from that back to what I want it to be so that even if the worst happens, I'm not stuck with that being my last activity. I can go, okay, all right, we've solved that problem. Here's how we're going to get back to what we love. Cool. Well, speaking of worst case scenarios, um, Becky asked, do you have any advice on when a mishap happens and you fall? Like any ways to help prevent injury? Um, I suggest to anybody that's going to be on horseback to take classes in something like judo or aikido or jiu-jitsu something that teaches you to fall because there is a process of falling um the natural response for people is to reach for the ground with their hands or their feet and a lot of times you'll come down lopsided and end up on one and and maybe blow out a knee like you've had experience with or shatter a wrist or break an arm in those martial arts, we train to land with as much of our body at the same time as possible. So we disperse the force so that no one part of your body takes the brunt of the injury. Um, so training to land is, is huge. And the best place to do that is someplace where you're going to have to land a lot. Not necessarily like a gymnastics class because they want to land on their feet, but in a jiu-jitsu or judo or aikido class where they land with their body. Because the more time you spend in the air and learning how to tweak your body so that you land properly, you know, it becomes second nature. And I've come off, you know, hundreds of horses by this time. And I've hit the ground in every imaginable configuration. And the thing that saved me is the fact that I've been doing jiu-jitsu now for 30 years. Well, that leads me into my next question, which is beautiful. Uh, how has martial arts helped you with riding? Oh, martial arts is such a boon in so many ways, um, not just in riding, but in life. Um, like I said, when we walk into the dojo, we have to leave all of our baggage behind. And that has become a process that's just now second nature. So I consider 
the riding arena, the barn, just another dojo. So when I walk in, I leave all my trash behind. Um, it also teaches me body awareness, you know, like where my center is and how to move my center, not just side to side, but up to down. Can I raise my center of gravity? Can I lower it? Um, you know, learning body awareness for coming off a horse, or, you know, falling. Also being able to gauge distance if a horse is starting to spook, if a horse is trying to kick, all of those things, learning the safe spots. It's no different than, you know, somebody throwing a punch, only the punch is being driven by 1,500 pounds of muscle. Um, but it creates a, a three-dimensional model in your head of where you're going to be safest. Um, but also it gives you a type of confidence that you might not have otherwise. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid of getting hit because I've been hit. I'm not afraid of falling because I've, I've fallen. But it gives me such a trust in myself, too, to do the right thing, to not react in anger, but to approach the situation as neutral as possible and see what the intentions are. You know, it, it gives me a place to find calm so that I can bring that calm with me. And it also gives me the adaptability to see a horse that's in some sort of upset and provide that calm for them and go, you know what, I'm not your problem, but I'm here to help be your solution. So it's definitely helped you develop your intuition as well, it would sound like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, intuition is probably 60% of, of what we do in martial arts. Did you learn how to become intuitive as a child, or was it just second nature? Um, I was really blessed with an amazing mom. Uh, my mother was a student of the Silva Institute of Mind Control. She was, you know, mostly Comanche, part Irish, and just a magical woman. So from my earliest memories, she was teaching me how to meditate. She was teaching me self-hypnosis. She was teaching me how to listen and watch and you know she took me out into the desert and taught me how to survive taught me what plants were edible you know how to find water how to how to track animals and see things that most people you know have no clue are even there so i started practicing intuition before i could even spell the word intuition um, i was very lucky that that i had a mom like that that's really cool flo would like to know what was your best Reiki experience? Oh, gosh. I, I love all of my Reiki experiences because, you know, it, any chance you get to make a person or an animal's life better. Um, I don't know that I can narrow it down to one, but I'll give you three good examples. Uh, when I first got attuned as a Reiki master, I was sitting in a room with about 20 other people that were all being attuned, and the the room just started getting hotter and hotter and hotter it felt like we were sitting in a sauna and finally the the reiki master that was attuning us said that we were all done and she goes okay that's good why don't why don't we all go outside and catch some some breath and she held me back while everybody else walked out of the room and she pointed up and she goes this this heat this is your fault i'm like what do you mean and she goes i you were so warm i could barely get close enough to to do the attunement she goes, your heat caused all of this. So that was that was kind of cool. 
Um, and I have to say something about that because whenever I get really cold really easily, whenever I feel super cold, I'm just like, Charlie, help me. And he literally will put his hands on my back. And within 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> He's like, that's one of his superpowers. He can bring up the energy and warm you up really quickly, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, my my next favorite we talked about before was, you know, our second date when I met Bentley. And he was just not happy. And I could sense that there was something wrong with him. And I started doing Reiki on him and his hip popped. And immediately he, he sighed and dropped his head and relaxed and was just brilliant the rest of the day. And it led to a, a you know, a really lovely relationship with an amazing horse. Um, it's, it's just one of those dear moments to me in the memory of, of animals I've dealt with. Um, and then I remember I was at, um, a Tony Robbins event and there was someone there with us that was a pure skeptic and it wasn't necessarily Reiki per se, but I did what I consider my, my party tricks and did some, some energy work and some, uh, applied physiology. And this was a, a big giant bodybuilder type guy. And I was doing things like touching him on the shoulder and then, being able to drop his hand, making him feel like he was weak as a kitten. And it was all just, you know, manipulating his energy. And by the end of it, he uh, he got the information of the lady who trained me in Reiki. And last I heard, he was taking classes as well. That's really cool. And also, I know as soon as you taught me how to do Reiki and attune me to level two... I was able to help Bentley many times with just basic gas colic where he would lay down when he used to live in a stall and we would get him out and um, do Reiki and then he would get up and let out some gas and run around and feel so much better. And it was almost like within a minute, like it worked so quickly. It was amazing. Well, and I also remember at our old house in Texas, all of the birds that would fly into the big picture windows. And I remember a baby hummingbird and picking the baby hummingbird up and, and doing Reiki on it and you know, holding it in my hands for, you know, a couple of minutes and then opening my hands up and away it flew. Oh, yes. Or the baby uh, pilated, pilated woodpecker, woodpecker yeah. that we saved. <laughs> and then the next morning, the entire family of pilated woodpeckers was waiting for us at the front door as if to say, hey, thanks for what you did. And then they all flew away. That was really cool, too. Oh, we had a blue jay out here that you helped. And yeah. then the parents saw that we helped it and thanked us. That was really neat, too. Okay, so another Beth just asked, how do you blend yin and yang? Does one come more naturally? Do you have more confidence with the other? And how do you feel perceived by society for either your masculine or feminine roles? Um, I've always been a very yang uh, creature. It's always been my energy, and that's, that's natural. Um, most of us start in yang. Yin energy takes a lot of cultivation. Um, yang energy is in us. Yin energy is around us. Um, do you want to explain the difference to anybody who doesn't understand? So yang energy is, is fiery energy. It's male energy. It's, it's solid. Um, yin energy is the female energy. It's fluid energy. It's airy energy. Um, so in order to work energy, you need to have your hands in both, but certainly some people are going to be more adept at one or the other. Um, my biggest hurdle most of the time is dialing back my yang so that I can provide more yin. Um, 
again, I'm, I'm a very yang energy sort of person. So for me, it's all about taking the time to breathe in that yin and, you know, find that, that place where they balance. Um, as far as people perceive me, I'm exactly what I look like. I'm a big, you know, brash, very, you know, straightforward stunt guy. Um, if you get in my way I'm, and you're causing damage to somebody I love, I'm going to knock you over. That's just what I do. And that's, I've never apologized for that. The other side of that, though, it's always a surprise to people when they can see the gentle side of me, when I can bring out the yin side of me. And a lot of people are amazed that that even exists. Um, when I'm home, though, I am much gentler. This is my home. This is this is where I can let down my guard and and not have to be aggressive. And especially around horses and animals in general, I can I can just take a deep breath and just be. And they accept me for what I am, with nothing to prove. And it's 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 lovely. Thank you for that. And um, a similar note, Nicole asked, she's always been fascinated with the warrior-poet combination. She wanted to know how you deal with jobs that sometimes require extreme violence in certain situations. Oh, that's actually an easy thing. And it's one of the first things I teach people when I teach self-defense is you have to decide how far you're willing to go to save your own life and what that trigger is going to be, you know? what is the red line that somebody has to cross before you're willing to go that distance? Um, and I made that decision years ago because of the skills I've learned over a lifetime of doing the work I've done. Um, it's Humans are very fragile, and I know how much damage I can do. So I have no ego involvement when, when people accost me. I'm going to give them every opportunity to walk away. I'm, I can't be insulted. I'm, I'm not worried about their perception of me. I'm going to give them every opportunity. And if they don't take that opportunity, if they back me into a corner where the only way out is to fight, then I'm going to come out with all guns blazing, and it's not going to go well for them. But at the same time, I will have no worries on my conscience because I did give them every opportunity. Now, the other side of that is if they threaten you or they threaten my family, that red line is a lot shorter, and I'm going to go to that place a lot sooner. Now, will I take it to the point where, you know, they're, they're ruined for life? Kind of depends on them. You know, most times, 90% of the time, when I step into that space where it's like, okay, things are about to go kinetic. We're about to, to get into it. A lot of times they see that and go, whoa, he's playing a different game than I want to play. And most people walk away. And that's fine. If they're willing to walk away at that point, I'll let them. But again, I have no problems in my conscience because I never instigated the violence. But if violence bring, comes to me, I'm perfectly willing to answer it. Well, that reminds me of how we were talking about energy the other day and how you're able to... We, we joke about it, um, like chi punches or even happy bricks. Do you want to talk about that and how it could be used as a, as a tool for, for people in a good way? Yeah, so um, first let's talk about chi punches. And, you know, a lot of people wonder if these even exist. 
I have my own experience where I felt my energy boiling up, getting ready to do great violence on somebody because of what they were doing. And when I turned to them, I felt that energy bolt out and hit them right in the sternum. And I just watched them wilt energetically, almost to the point of tears. And then they turned around and left, which was great because I didn't do any physical damage to them, but I did enough energetic impact to them that it solved the problem. So years later, I was actually in a Qigong class and we were throwing balls of chi back and forth at each other. So like one person would be across the room with their eyes closed and I would build up a ball of, of energy, of happy energy, and I would throw it across the room at them like passing a basketball. And you'd see the person with their eyes closed take an impact and actually waver, like stumble from feeling that energy. So I developed what I call the happy brick. And if anybody knows me, they'll know this is my sense of humor. What you do is you find some of the happiest, funniest memories you can conjure up. Times when you were laughing so hard it hurt. And you want to bring that that joy and that sensation of laughter into your hands and start building this ball of pure joy, pure humor, pure fun. And the more you can pack in there, the better. And then you start squeezing it down and shaping it into the size and density of a brick. And this is particularly used when there's somebody that's giving you a hard time, that's, that's you know, problematic for you. You get that brick ready, and the next time they walk by, when they're past you, you throw it right at the back of their head. And what you're aiming for is, you know, the, the lizard brain component. You know, the earliest formation of your brain, which is where all your emotions start. And they're going to feel that wash of happy energy. They're not going to know why they're happy, but because it's your energy, it has your thumbprint on it. So they're going to know instinctively that for some reason, when you're around, they're happier. And they'll start treating you better. And at the very worst, you've still gotten to throw a brick at their head. So it's kind of a (laughs) win-win. It's brilliant. I've actually helped some of my students with that, especially with people at the barn that were giving them a hard time. Because so many of my students are such empaths and we feel so much energy around us and we can sense when there's something, you know, a disturbance in the force. So once I gave them these tools, it was just so much more empowering. So thank you for that. Well, and another way to use this specifically for horses, um, think about when you're feeding them. When you're mixing their food, just pour all of the love and joy and hope and happiness that you have into that mix. Oh, you know, that's so just, good. Just blend it all in with all the supplements. And then when you you feed them, they will take on that energy. Or when you see them across the paddock, just make a ball of love and, and throw it to them. That's brilliant. You can do that from a distance as well. So if you're not able to see your horse, you can just send that energy to them. And yeah. that, that's the beginning, of course, of animal communication and your telepathic connection, too. Yeah, think of energy like your your radio waves or cell phone signal or internet. It, it does not have a, a limit in space. You know, vibration travels. So all you have to do is, you know, set up that sympathetic vibration regardless of distance. So cool. Okay, so someone else asked, how do you stay informed about the world and everything and still stay grounded. <laughs> um, it's going to be funny, but this is also my personality. I ask a very simple question 
when I see something that's troubling in the news or, you know, on Facebook or wherever else, I ask the one simple question, is this going to change the price of beer? And if the answer is no, then it's just not that important. Now, it seems silly, but you can you can use that same concept with anything. Will this change the way I ride my horse? Will this change my ability to drink coffee? The answer is no, then it's just not that important. What that does is it brings it all local. How much of a problem is this actually for me? You know? And then when it is, what do you do? When it is, then I take whatever steps I can to change it. Like if, if you're going to change the price of Shiner Bach, then we're going to have a discussion about it. <laughs> what are the main things you focus on when you're riding a horse? For me, it's it's the horse. You know, I, I focus on feeling their energy and understanding, you know, what their rhythm is and trying to find, you know, a complementary rhythm and finding how we fit together. Um, I'm not much of an arena rider. I grew up a cowboy. I like going out and, and covering country on a horse. And I like I like their sensation of exploring new space and watching their awareness of where we're going. And horses are some of the most protective creatures you can you can spend time with. You know, you'll a horse will know that there's something in the bushes twenty minutes before you even know there's a bush. You know, their senses are so much more heightened than ours. So they can let you know that there's a problem before there's a problem. So I just, I try and focus on the horse and just the enjoyment of, you know, spending that time and that they're allowing me to be in that partnership with them. It's amazing they let us ride them. It really is. What advice would you give someone that struggles with feeling anxiety and what tools would you suggest? You know, one of my favorite tools, and it, it kind of goes back to a couple of the other things we talked about, uh, not just anxiety, but anger. It's something I learned in California when I was an aspiring actor. I was on my way to an audition and traffic was horrible. It was one of the hottest days on record. You know, I was stuck in traffic. I was going to be late. I was not going to get the job because I was going to be late and my air conditioning was going out and my car was overheating. A perfect storm of all these things going wrong and I was throwing a fit in my car. I was just freaking livid out. <laughs> yeah. with anger. And I noticed somebody in the next car staring at me and that was just making it worse. And I thought, I am going to look over there and if you're still staring, I will get out of this car and I will drag you out in the street. And I turned and looked and the guy was wearing a pair of Groucho Marx glasses. You know, the glasses with the big eyebrows and the big nose and the mustache. And it was such a shock to my system that I just burst out into laughter. And he's laughing and I'm laughing. And now, you know, I'm feeling better because it's, it's funny at this point. And he points over my shoulder and there's a lady in the next car doing the same thing I'd been doing. So we both stare at her until she looks. And she looks at me and I point at him. Now she starts laughing. And in about 10 minutes, we had nine cars worth of people stuck in traffic laughing hysterically. And then traffic started moving and we all started going our separate ways and everybody's waving to each other like old friends. And because I was moving, my car engine started cooling off, my air conditioner started working again. I got to my audition and because of traffic, everybody was late. So I was the first one there. I was actually early. And I, because I was already happy, I went in, I killed the audition 
and I walked out and got in my car and I drove down to a place called Hollywood Toys and Magic. And I bought a Groucho Marx, a set of Groucho Marx glasses to keep in my car because it was a very important lesson. And now whenever I feel myself getting angry, I put them on because the angrier you get when you're wearing Groucho Marx glasses, the sillier you look. So it's impossible to stay angry. And plus, it takes the focus off of what you're angry about and you start looking around for people to notice you so that you can share that joy. So now instead of you know, spreading anger, you're sharing joy. So when it comes to you know, any sort of anxiety, find a reason to shift into joy. Find a reason to lead with kindness, and especially for yourself. You know, and go back to the other tools too. Is it going to change the price of beer, what you're anxious about? Probably not. Awesome. So it's not that important. Let's, you know, let's take that and go, okay, I can address this, but now is not the time. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the schedule for later tonight. And then, you know, find that happy place, find that humor, find your joy button. I really love the idea of looking to help others in your moment of strife. So if you're anxious or angry, you can then decide, wait, what if I just try to help someone right now, even if it's just helping your horse? Absolutely, and that that that's such a universal thing. It it works with teaching too. If you're having trouble learning something, try teaching it to someone else. You will know it so much better at the end. If you're trying to get over anger, find somebody else who's angry and help them get over theirs. You know, if you're anxious, find somebody else that's anxious and help them get past it. You will learn so much more from looking at it from the outside than you will from looking at it from the inside. Absolutely. And it's always so good to keep learning. Like right now, I'm just finishing up getting certified as an equestrian Tai Chi instructor. And I've been practicing myself, but as soon as I've been given the go-ahead to start teaching it, it just took on a whole new level. I'm like, okay, I really better know this inside and out because I need to explain it to my students. And now I'm enjoying it so much more for myself because I've had to explain it and then I could see the light bulbs work for them and then see how their horses react. It's just such a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Okay, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your time in the Army and if you have any sort of PTSD, and if you do, how have the horses helped you with that? So, PTS is a very complex question. Um, I don't really have PTS linked to any particular trauma. Um, what I do have is a heightened sense of um, awareness and threat assessment. So for me, anytime I get in places where the noises are too loud, it triggers that limbic response of aggression because now I can't hear threats soon enough. Or if there are too many people or it gets too crowded and I don't have space, same thing. I want to distance myself from it. Um, so for me, my response always goes into that aggressiveness you know, that, that martial aspect, that, that fight into fight or flight. The nice thing about horses is, you know, they are a fight or flight creature. That's where they live. They're, you know, so you can't be aggressive around a horse and have an outcome that's, that's good for anybody. So I know going in, I'm going to have to calm myself. But I also know that horses 
by nature are not, you know, an aggressive species. They're not trying to hurt you. If they're being aggressive, it's because they're trying to get away. So, it, you know, my insight is they're in the same space I am. If they're being aggressive, I need to give them space. You know, if they're being aggressive, I need to give them calm. It's like what we just talked about. Instead of, you know, meeting their aggression with aggression, find a way to solve their problem and it'll solve yours. Also, horses energetically, they vibrate at such a calming tone. It's kind of like a cat's purr. So just being around them you know, brings your energy to a, a more settled place. Um, and also, horses are not judgy. I mean, unless you run out of cookies, then, then of course they get a little judgy. <laughs> but for the most part, they see you as you are, not as you think you are. So a horse is going to, to reach for the authentic you and help you find who that is. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, just just the thing that you always share and the thing that we shared last time. You know, try to lead with kindness. You can never go wrong if you start from that place. You know, even as a bouncer, you know, when I first started bouncing, it was exactly that. I was bouncing people off of every solid surface available. Oh, gosh. Um, it was violent, and and that's that's the way the process worked. The last couple of years I bounced, I never laid a hand on anybody because I would sense their, their, their issue coming in. I would sense that they were aggressive, they were angry, they were having a bad day. And instead of approaching it like, hey, you need to get out of here, I would go, hey, are you okay? And just that question would, would stun them. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you seem upset. What happened? Is it my fault? Is it the fault of my guys? Is it something I can solve for you? And then they did let loose with like, oh, no, well, I'm, I'm having an argument with my buddy or I'm having a, a fight with my girlfriend. And I'd always say, are they here? Because I'll throw them out and, you know, shift them into humor. But by approaching it with kindness, I was able to take a potentially, you know, aggressive situation and bring it about to a much more peaceful outcome and, and create, you know, if not at least a good customer, oftentimes a really good friend. Because then they felt safe coming to me. And if they had a problem, before they'd do something stupid, they would come to me first and go, I'm having a problem. I'm like, okay, let's fix it. So leading with kindness, if I could get any message out to the world, that would be it. Especially in this time of, of horrific politics and and all of the stress of COVID and everybody being at each other from stress. Before you go into a situation like that, know that that person is in the same spot you are and lead with kindness so that you can lead them out. I love that. Yes, absolutely. And our horses will thank us for it as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Charlie, for doing this again. I really enjoy chatting with you. Well, thank you. And thanks everybody for your fantastic questions. And stay tuned. We're going to have some fun things coming in the new year. I believe we're going to have Charlie add some fun courses to Inspired Riding to help riders. So I will keep you guys all up to date with that. And if you want to get all the latest info, you can always check out the group Inspired Riders, a supportive group of horse people. And yes, we are supportive and super kind. And that's what I've 
cultivated in this group and it's on Facebook so you can just uh, search in Facebook Inspired Riders and you should find us there answer the questions and I will usher you in thanks again and may the horse be with you always always